Well, friends, good morning. Happy Advent. Good to be with you guys. Uh, if this is your first time here, let me introduce myself. My name is Ryan. I serve as one of the pastors here at Fellowship. And as we get started today, I'm reminded that as we come into this holiday season, the time has come for holiday movies. And I'm convinced now more than ever that you can tell a lot about a person's personality by the holiday movie that they like. And so I need a little audience help today. I'm going to list off a few holiday movies. Uh, if this is one that you're kind of into, I invite you to shout, cheer, make a ruckus, and we're going to figure out uh, what's represented in the room. So let's start with the outliers. Any form or version of the same movie played over and over again, a.k.a. a Hallmark movie. Okay, for you guys out there. Uh, Again, movies played over and over, including Bruce Willis, Die Hard, if you count it as a Christmas holiday. All right, how about this one? Uh, every time that you hear a bell ring, what happens? Angel gets his wings. Let's hear it. It's a wonderful life. Okay, up there, not number one, but up there, um, this little movie called National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> Uh-huh. All right. Now, there is one Christmas movie that, for me, stands out above all the others. And it's the story of a little boy named Ralphie and his quest of the, for the ideal present, a double carbine action Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock. And I'm convinced that this movie will tell you everything you need to know about the, a person. Because I've yet to meet a person who is like, eh, Christmas story, meh. People either love it or they hate it. And uh, one of the things that I love about this movie is there are so many crazy twists and turns that take place in the midst of this film. I mean, poor little Ralphie. All he wants is the ideal present, and every time he hears the same refrain over and over again. And you know it. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. You don't want this gift. If you get this, you'll shoot your eye out. And what I love about these Christmas stories is they have this beautiful way of looking at the obvious, looking at the ordinary, and recognizing that even in the ordinary, something beautiful is taking place that we might just pass. The reality is, as we come into this Christmas season, there are so many things that are competing for our attention. Target's been competing for our attention since Halloween. I mean, everywhere you look, people are shouting, it's Christmas. But at the end of the day, what is Christmas really all about? And it's here in the midst of the story that we come to what for me is probably my favorite scene in the Christmas story. The story of a man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and the way in which the beauty of Christ in his presence radically transforms their story. And so if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open up with me to Luke chapter 1 and we'll read verses 5 to 25 together. And here's what we're told. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And when the whole multitude of the people were praying outside, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will, not turn, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of the, and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced of years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among his people. Let's pray. God, I love stories where you break in and, and you do the unimaginable. And Lord, I, I just, as I come before your word this week, I have been reminded that how often you do the unimaginable and we just don't see it. Lord, how we pray that as we look at your word today that you would open our eyes. How we pray today that as we uh, seek you and long to know you more, that you by your spirit would prepare our hearts for the celebration of Christmas. And that in the midst of it all, you would be glorified. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. In your name, amen. Well, friends, as we, as we launch into this Advent season, we're beginning this new series that we're calling Make Room. One of the things that you notice as you begin to look at each of the elements of the Christmas story are there are these powerful invitations and opportunities where we will be called upon as the people of God to make space even in the midst of a busy holiday. You know, one of the most tragic moments in the Christmas story uh, was when Jesus and Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem, and there's no room for him to be born. There was no space that had been made in order to illustrate to us a powerful point, a powerful invitation as we come into this holiday, to recognize that if we would come to the heart of Christmas, it will call on us to live intentionally, to live purposefully, to make space. You know, here's the thing about making space that I want to suggest to you as we launch into this series. Making space, making room is all about remembering relationship. 
It's about remembering that in the midst of the hustle and the bustle, in the midst of all the activities and stuff that can fill the Christmas season, the single most important thing that guides and directs us is the reality of relationship. And one of the greatest dangers that we can come into in the holiday season is that we become so consumed with the stuff of Christmas that we, move, we lose sight of the very one of whom Christmas is all, really all about. You see, that's the thing about making room. Making room is about making space for interruption. Making room is about space for the unexpected. Making room is about believing that even in the midst of a crazy and broken world, God is still doing the unimaginable and the unexpected. And it's that mystery that we come to as we look at a passage like this today. The story of two lives, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and the way in which their lives were radically interrupted and become an invitation to us to see the promise of hope. You know, I think one of the greatest dangers that we can sometimes butt up against in the holiday season is we kind of fall into this trap that I would call the predictability of the status quo. You know, we think we know what Christmas looks like. We, we think we know what Christmas is really all about. But sometimes in the midst of the story, God shows up and he does something beautiful and unexpected. You know, the passage opens, us, opens up by introducing us to the two primary characters of this story, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we learn that Zechariah was a priest within the division of Abijah, and that his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And yet, to me, what's most striking about them is the description that's given of them in verses 5 to 7. That they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And wouldn't you like to have that attached to your name? And can I, can I say something that I think is so powerful that we might gloss over at this part in the story? Here is a couple that has done everything right. Scripture says that they were living a holy and a pure life. And yet at the same time, we find this mystery in verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. I think sometimes there can be this assumption that if we just follow Jesus, life goes according to the script. You know, sometimes we even hear messages that say, if you just do all the right things, if you just, you know, go through life, uh, living as a good person, the reality is all of circumstances will make sense and align in your journey. But the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, I think, are a beautiful picture of the reality of the human condition. That stuff happens. That life can sometimes be hard. And oftentimes life will throw at us unexpected circumstances that we wonder, God, what in the world can you possibly be up to in this? And yet as the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth begins to unfold, we begin to discover that there's actually about three different stories that are going on all in this one. On one hand, you have the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. On the other hand, you have the story of the larger nation of Israel. And then thirdly, you have the larger story of what God is doing in transforming the world in the coming of Jesus. And all of these stories find an intersection in what's happening in this moment. 
You know, what we learn about Zechariah is that a pri- as a priest in the order of Abijah, he was selected as a one out of 800 to offer incense in the temple. If you're familiar with the, with the um, circumstances and rituals of the Old Testament, you know that uh, it would just be one priest at a time who would go before the Holy of Holies and offer incense before the Lord. And yet, if you study this tradition in even uh, deeper detail, you begin to understand there are some beautiful circumstances that are going on here that we might be quick to miss. Um, Because of that, I want to draw our attention to what I think are a couple of historical points that are worth noting at this point in the story. Number one, Zechariah goes in uh, to the temple, and he does so following 400 years of God's silence. 400 years. The nation of Israel had been carried off into captivity as a consequence for their sin and their refusal uh, to follow God. They had found themselves under Babylonian captivity and then Roman occupation. For 400 years, the people longed to hear the voice of God. And then in this story, something radically happens. The silence breaks. But can I, can I invite us for a second to sit and picture what life must have been like for Zechariah and Elizabeth? 400 years. 400 years since God had spoken directly to his people through the prophets. How easy it must have been to simply reason, hey, we just go on and we offer these rituals because that's what we got to do. We simply go through the motions. We, do, we simply do the next right thing. But can I suggest to you that in this offering of incense, God is saying something so beautiful. Because uh, you have to look at what Zechariah is being drawn by lot in order to pursue. He's supposed to go into the temple and offer incense. If you read Exodus chapter 30, you discover that this practice of offering incense was a very important and significant part of preparing the temple and the tabernacle for sacrifice. Because what would happen both at the beginning of the morning and at the end of the day, uh, incense would be offered on the altar before any sacrifice would be given in the temple or in the tabernacle. In fact, you find these descriptions, like I said, in Exodus chapter 30. And there what we find is both at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, uh, these would be given as a sign of preparation, as a sign of Preparing the way for the sacrifice that is to come. And so, as Zechariah finds himself in the temple, literally, he is preparing the way for the sacrifice that would come. And how ironic that up and against this backdrop, up and against this setting, God is doing something beautiful. You know, as I look at all the circumstances of the story that meet at this point, again, I think it's such a beautiful picture of the story of humanity. For a lifetime and for this couple, day after day for the nation of Israel, this couple lived in a status quo of a strange mix of human brokenness and God's silence. And this week I was reminded that oftentimes in our journey, perhaps the most painful moments are not the moments when hard things come our way. It is the moments where the voice of God seems silent in the midst of our suffering. 
It's the moments when life seems to go off script. It's the moment when circumstances don't go the way we thought they would. When the promises of a silent night are only met with darkness, confusion, and doubt. That the beauty and the reality of this relationship that is coming at Christmas speaks so powerfully to us today. And for this couple, we find just the depth of their desperation. Look with me in verse 7. Because they had no child. Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. I can only imagine the conversations that must have gone on in their home. Yeah, we wanted a child, but man, the ship has sailed. (laughs) Have you looked in the mirror? (laughs) We ain't getting any younger here. I mean, what are you going to tell me? That God is going to break in in the middle of our story? Really? And yet, in the midst of this story, we begin to find a powerful invitation to make room. To make room for what we could never imagine. In verse 11, we're told that Zechariah is offering this incense. An angel of the Lord appears. And by the way, Again, this isn't one of those clap your hands or ring a bell and the angel gets his wing kind of angel. Uh, One of the things that you discover as you read the pages of the Old Testament is that when an angel appears, it often is a sign of God's judgment or, or proclamation. And we find that when this angel appears, he appears on the right side of the altar, a picture of God's blessing. And here he speaks to Zechariah these words that I think are so desperate for us to hear today. And he says this, In verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. You know, this week as I was reading this passage, the words that just jumped off the page for me. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Are there really any words that speak more powerfully to our lives than this reality? I think we all have those places in our lives where we have cried out to God, and it seems as if our prayers merely ricochet off the ceiling. And the story that we're reminded of, the reality that we're reminded of in this story It's this beautiful reality that the God we worship is the God who hears. Friends, I know we all know that intellectually and theologically, but in the places of deepest pain and confusion in your journey, do you really know that? That the God we worship is the God who hears. And what's beautiful is that as you look at the words that the angel speaks to him, one of the things that you discover is that God is merely picking up the story where he left off. In fact, you'll see in the words of the angel an echoing of what he already spoke to the nation in Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament. And listen to this description that's given there. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you will seek will suddenly come to his people. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
Even in the midst of Israel's captivity, God was preparing the way. Now you might say, well, Ryan, wait a second. Are you saying that if we just have enough faith that we're going to be able to make sense of it all? No, maybe not in this lifetime. And yet as I wrestle with the reality of hope, I am reminded again of the power of three simple words, or three simple letters, the power of the word yet. You know, I remember um, when we first learned uh, that Tammy had passed and ultimately uh, when she had gone uh, to be with Jesus. I remember sitting with a dear friend of mine and I was, I was angry. Bitterness was creeping into my soul. I just remember sobbing and saying before him, you know what? I can't see how God can bring any good from this. you got to be kidding me. And my friend just gently looked at me and said, yet. I don't, I, I, I don't see how this can be something that can ever be redeemed. She's gone, gone! How can this ever be used for God's glory? I don't see it. He just responded very gently. Yet. Yet. After he'd listened to me for about an hour, he said, you know, Ryan, faith is merely the conviction that the story isn't over. Faith is the conviction and the invitation to keep reading. Hope is the conviction of trusting that God is doing something even in the moments when life doesn't make sense. Hope is the trust to keep reading and trusting that there is another chapter that we have yet to read. In fact, let me even say this, that that is the essence of hope, the conviction of yet making room for the belief that God is still writing the story. Even when I don't know how it's going to end. And that in his way and in his time, we will see the good that comes of it. And friends, I'll be honest. I have not read the chapter with my own eyes of seeing Tammy completely healed and free of cancer. But I know that she stands in the presence of Jesus and she is completely healed and free from the pain of cancer. I just haven't seen it yet. Yet. And just as this couple waited for the fulfillment of God's promise, they realized that God was still doing something that they could never have imagined yet. And the story goes on. You know, I, I wonder for each of us today, what's your yet? What's your yet? Is it the, I don't know how that reconciliation will ever happen with that person yet. I don't know how God is going to write the story of my future yet. I don't know what circumstances will look like 10, 15, 20 years from now, yet. 
And I want to challenge you that the beautiful story of Zechariah and Elizabeth become a beautiful invitation for us to wrestle with this question of will we make room for hope? You see, that's the very thing about all transformation. All spiritual transformation in the kingdom by its very nature is disruptive. It, it, it changes things. It turns the story on its head. And as this passage goes on, we find a powerful invitation to marvel again at the unimaginable wisdom of God. You know, one of the things that I love about Scripture is the way in which it is filled with these very honest, very transparent depictions of humanity. Humanity doesn't just walk away with a glowing halo in the various parts of this story. I mean, here, here's Zechariah. And he literally is seeing an angel of the Lord standing before him. And he's, Brian's paraphrase would be, come on, seriously? How can these things be? And yet what we'll notice is, is we look at the various echoes that are going on in Zechariah's interaction with this angel, we're invited to see the story of another moment, a very important moment in the history of the nation of Israel. You see, when the people of Israel read the scriptures or they hear the scriptures spoken, oftentimes what happens is it triggers uh, little moments and circumstances in other parts of the story. I call it hyperlinking. You know, it, it, it is the story of these other narratives that play together in this moment. And I, I'm convinced that this is one of those scenes. Because thousands of years before, Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, is visited by an angel with a promise that he too would have a child late in years. And here's what I want to do. I want to show you these two passages side by side because I think it's so incredibly powerful. You see, for example, Zechariah asks this question, how can this be? In much the same way in Genesis chapter 15, verse 8, Abraham asks the same question. Or, for example, in Genesis 17, 17, Abraham argues with the angel that he's too old and Sarai is too advanced in years. And in verse 18, Zechariah asks the angel, how shall I know this? Because I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Both are saying to God, God, look at the circumstances. God, everything in the human story says that the chapter and the trajectory of the story is being written. But something beautiful happens. You know, we go on to discover that in the book of Genesis, when Sarai hears the news that she would bear a child, do you remember what she does? She laughs. Again, Ryan's paraphrase here. God, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously. Seriously. And the Lord answers her in verse 14 by saying, is anything too hard for our God? Again, what I find so powerful and, and important for us to remember in this holiday season is that we can go through the, the rituals and the stuff of Christmas and lose out on this simple fact. 
that the God of the universe has come to dwell among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And again, I think sometimes we've done Christmas so much, we've done Christmas so often, that we know that to be the truth. But this Christmas, I would simply ask you, how does the hope of Emmanuel, God with you, speak into the reality of your story? And where is he inviting you to make room? And I wonder today, for each of us, do we need to simply ask the question, what's too hard for our God? You know, it's interesting to me, because in verse 20, we find one of the most curious parts of the story. In fact, it's a, it's a part of this story that people wrestle and wonder with, why is Zechariah struck silent? You know, uh, some have argued that uh, the reason why he struck silent, and, and even potentially deaf, is because... Maybe because he doubted God, he was being punished. You know, I'm convinced more than ever that when we read the scripture, asking the question, what's the tone in which I'm reading this is so incredibly important. Because let me suggest to you that there's another option here. I don't think God is punishing Zechariah for his unbelief. I think what God is doing is that he's recognizing that for Zechariah to receive the promise that he was given, he had to be prepared. Just as a way had to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah, so too his heart had to be prepared to hear the fulfillment of God. Nine months to quietly reflect and to ponder in his own heart what God had just said. Nine months to reflect on the goodness of God. And again, I can't prove this decisively. I I think this is a little bit of a stretch, and I'm going to own it as a stretch. But I think there's another illusion that's going on here. That just as Abraham was knocked in in the socket of his hip in Peniel and walked away with a limp, so that he could receive the blessing of God, so too God is making room for Zechariah in this time of silence, that he too might hear and see and receive the promise God had. You might say, Ryan, well, why is that important? You know what I love about God? God is fulfilling his promise even in the moments that Zechariah is absolutely unable to say or do anything about it. Friends, if I'm honest, one of the greatest fears that I walk with in this journey of following Jesus is the fear that I'm going to screw it up. The fear that somehow I'm going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, act in a way where um, God is pouring out his goodness and his blessing around me, and somehow I'm too messed up to receive it. But the beauty of this moment is God is illustrating to humanity that even in the moment when Zechariah is left in a place where he can do nothing to fulfill this promise, God is at work. God is faithful. And God will prepare the way for the Messiah that's to come. And it was the custom. Zechariah would have remained at the temple to fulfill his duties and at the end of that time returned home. And in verse 24, we're reminded that 
Elizabeth does indeed conceive, and she makes this beautiful declaration. Thus, the Lord has looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Again, can I suggest to you, this is one of those hyperlinked moments. Because she's actually quoting Rachel from Genesis chapter 30, verse 23. Does anybody remember who Rachel is? She's the mother of Joseph. At the moment in which it seemed as if uh, Israel had had all the children he would have, here comes, here comes Joseph, and he is the child that would be the deliverer, the deliverer that would help prepare the way for the safety of the nation of Israel in Egypt. And in the same way, we are reminded that God in his faithfulness and goodness is preparing a way for the one who would bring hope. I think then the question that we're ultimately left with is as we come to this Christmas, can we prepare the way for God to interrupt our story with hope? Again, I would ask the question, this Christmas, what's the yet that you need to be reminded of? I don't see how our marriage can survive yet. I don't see how goodness or transformation can happen in the world around us in the midst of pandemics and wars and difficulty and loss. How could anything good happen this Christmas? I don't see it yet. And we find ourselves invited to be a participant in the greatest story that the world would ever know. You know, as we come into this holiday season, one of the greatest things that we can do is to make space for the holy interruptions. To make space for the unexpected. The hope that God is up to something, even in the midst of the circumstances and challenges that life throws our way. It's trusting that this Christmas we find a powerful invitation to carry on and to be a representative of the mercy and the grace that God would work both in our life and in the lives of those around us. And this Christmas, I would simply begin this Advent season by asking this question. Where is God inviting me to make room for hope? Maybe that means internally trusting that the God who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. That God in his faithfulness and goodness will fulfill his plans for me, though it may not go according to the script that I think it should. He is a God who is big enough and good enough to redeem even life's deepest pains. You know, uh, one of the things that we're doing as we come into this celebration of Advent is we've actually had some bracelets made. If you haven't grabbed one, they'll be back uh, at the welcome table. And they just simply say, make room. And as I've had mine, it just becomes an invitation to me to look for the holy interruptions, to slow down the pace a little bit and remember, where might God be at work? Maybe that means making room and trusting that there's more to the story that I haven't seen yet. And maybe it's slowing down enough to recognize that he will put people in my path for whom I will be a tool in the hands of Jesus that he may use 
to speak his love, mercy, and grace into the life of another. I didn't plan to tell this story, and I'm a little over time, but I'm, let me, I want to do it. And I'm going to call him on the spot, and I hope he'll forgive me. I want to, tell, I want to brag on my son, EJ, a little bit. Um, just a couple weeks ago, we were driving in the car, and uh, we were at Kroger, and off to my right, uh, he noticed a gal that was there and was, had a, you know, a sign asking for money. And I asked him, buddy, or he asked me, Dad, do you think I should give her the dollar bill that I have? And I said, well, I don't know. Why don't you ask Jesus? Takes a minute and he pauses. And he says, yeah, I think Jesus is asking me to give that dollar away. I said, okay, but you have to do it. And he rolled down his window and the gal came over. And he handed her the dollar bill and just said, hey, I want to bless you. And can I tell you, I saw the kingdom of God break in in the smile of this woman. Because somebody saw her. Somebody was willing to make space in the midst of the story. And in the life of an 11-year-old, I'm convinced that the kingdom of God came in such beauty and power that it took my breath away. And friends, I wonder as we go into this Christmas, where might God be inviting us to make space, to make room for others? To invite people to our tables, to invite people into our homes, to see with fresh eyes the beauty and the dignity of each person that God came to redeem out of the depth of his love. This Christmas. May God interrupt our story. May God bless us with inconvenience. And by his mercy and his grace, may he renew in us the depth and the power of hope. Let's pray. Great God of the yets, How I thank you that you are so wise that you can find a way to bring hope even in the midst of the darkness of the human condition. You can work your goodness even in the depths of our darkest pain. And yet, Lord, you also invite us to open our hearts to make space around our tables, to make space around our homes, to carry on that work. Lord, we not only ask, we plead. May hope interrupt this Christmas. Both as people who receive hope, but as people who give it. As people who see with your eyes, who see with your hearts. And in the midst of it all, you receive all the glory. Oh, Jesus, we lay our lives before you. Fill us anew with your love. We pray in your name. Amen.